welcome to Chris and Matt Skim Wikipedia, the internet's foremost podcast on the band Everclear, which is what we were talking about right before we started recording. We said, we have a podcast where just the two of us talking about nothing and just bullshitting around, so we should probably save this subject for the podcast. Okay, I just want, uh, I, want I was curious if there were other Everclear podcasts. Maybe. Uh, it would appear as though... Art from Art Alex X is from Everclear dash podcasting question mark. Ooh wow! See what this is. Uh, I think this is just Art Alex X is on an episode of a different podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. He doesn't have. He should have a podcast called The Art of Podcasting. Yeah, The Art of Alex Akis. I've never tried to pronounce his last name before. I've always seen it. It's like that's not a last name I want to bother with, so I never did. He's just Art from Everclear, who had. Damn. That one album that was popular, so much for the Afterglow, which I can look up on Wikipedia, which is a so, thing we started there's doing. The, 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 the album after that was, was pretty popular, too. Did it have that song about disco or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. That, AM radio. Yeah, that, yeah, it's the last song I think I remember by that band. They, that, that was part of a two-volume set called Songs from an American Movie, Volume 1 and 2. I, I see now Volume 1 was Learning How to Smile. And did not get great reviews. No. Did not get great reviews. Uh, well, I mean... So Drowned in Sound gave the second part of it a 2 out of 10, which is like... Wow. I haven't heard the record, but it seems seems harsh. That does seem quite harsh. I mean, I, I don't think I've heard it as well. The only album I've heard... I had so much for the Afterglow on <laughs> disc. So yeah. I, I listened to the entire thing uh, on many an occasion. Like their song Amphetamine... Which was mm-hmm. about some like woman named amphetamine. I don't know if yeah. it was like a uh, what do you call it a metaphor. Yeah. Because he's always like she, she gets you all jacked up. Yeah. She's so perfect in that fucked up way. That's what he landed. I remember in the song. Da 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 da. She call you amphetamine. I don't. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, yeah, the, but it had a few hits. The song "So Much for the Afterglow." The title track was in the film "Loser," a, a movie that I don't particularly <laughs> like that much, but have watched maybe ten thousand times. Well, I forever uh, associate it with one of my least favorite songs, "Teenage Dirtbag" by <laughs> Weedus. Didn't you used to have a podcast that was all about that song in particular? No, I once wrote an article uh, for Uproxx when I was writing for Uproxx about music. Where I said that uh, Teenage Dirtbag by Weedus killed pop punk. <laughs> that's so. I don't know if that's particularly what killed pop punk. I don't know how to break that to you. But I, I threw it in there as like you know killing part of killing the pop punk. I just think that song is so awful. And then like what the guy from uh what do you call that band? Oh shit, Weedus. The guy from Weedus. He like because like you know Up Rocks. They of course they promoted the article on their Twitter, and it was like. Did like they put like did Weedus kill the pop punk like glory days or whatever? And then he like retweeted it with like a comment of like muahahaha, which I thought was charming. I was like, all right, that's Weedus a guy. that's a fun way to have to feel about it. Yeah, I was like, all right, Weedus guy, that song's garbage and really weird and just dumb and like, but you got there's s- you. there's so like so much pop punk from that era is yeah. like that song though. Yeah, it, it, although I would say. Uh, most songs from that era that deal with that like kind of like uh, misogynistic subject matter yeah. like she won't date me so she, she and her the boy that she is into deserve but to die her boyfriend's uh, a dick he breaks a gun yeah. to school 
uh yeah he they're always like he he doesn't listen to her like i listen to her and it's like when are you listening to her what's that other song i'm trying to think of uh oh flavor of the week Uh, yeah those songs came out almost the same i think like the same year and all that stuff but uh yeah it's uh gross um but like i i think that like to say that uh weedus's teenage dirtbag is the one that ended it is like because there's still so much after that that yeah, is just I, the same thing. It's it's it was a hot take article, obviously. You're just, getting like, called out, and I'm a team weedus apparently. I a band like, I don't care about yeah, at she, all. Uh, look, he's got pictures on her his wall of all the girls he wishes she was, and I know all her favorite songs. His boyfriend, <laughs> he don't know he anything just, about her. Yeah. He's too stoned Nintendo. I wish I could make her see. That she's just a flavor of the week. Two stoned Nintendo. <laughs> Maybe that's the worst song in the book. Two stoned Nintendo. It makes. I think we've talked about this before. Probably. It makes absolutely no fucking sense. That was so dumb. It's like it's like a pavement lyric, but the song's supposed to actually make sense. And like it's like pavement lyrics, not pavement lyrics. Is like words that just sound a sound funny or interesting together or flow together well in the flow of the song or whatever they're not trying to say anything but they're mm-hmm. they have a point to that song they're trying to say something what they're saying is two stone nintendo two stone nintendo just uh, nothing that's no- yeah. absolutely nothing but the uh the i think none, none of those songs are quite as bad i think it actually is not a surf's popular <laughs> <laughs> which is maybe the worst of the bunch apparently uh, Songs from American Movie Volume 1 was uh, inspired by Art Alexakis's second divorce. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always good to have... That second divorce is always the good one. <laughs> it's, the, yeah, it's the one that really, uh, you know... I don't know. I don't know anything about second... It probably is actually really terrible to be divorced multiple times. <laughs> I feel like you probably get used to it, right? <laughs> I, maybe. Been through this, this ain't my first rodeo yeah. kind of deal. Yeah, the first one's probably real. The second one's like, well, I know how this goes. So, and then, you know, some people, I don't know if he's been married again. I wonder if clicking Let's on Let's see if there's Wikipedia a section on uh, divorce in uh, Wikipedia. Let's see how, do people like it, don't like it, causes, up. effects. Okay. Some of the effects associated with uh, divorce include academic, behavioral, and psychological problems. Mm. Although this may not be true, studies suggest that children from divorced families are more likely to ex- exhibit such behavioral issues than those in non-divorced families. I had no idea that divorce was so painful. <laughs> Who knows? All I know is that our Alexis, he, our Alexis, he was an atheist, but then he became a Christian thanks to his then-fiancé, who I assume he eventually got not married to anymore. Uh, but, you know... And he has a song on that album so much for the Alfred Gallo called Why I Don't Believe in God. A couple mm-hmm. years later, he's talking about how he's uh, a Christian because his fiance was Christian. And I guess he converted from not believing to believing for her. I wonder why that relationship didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I... I can only imagine. I again. I haven't listened to this record in a very long time. This is like purely based off of the Wikipedia article on yeah. it. But the song title "Why I Don't Believe in God" is bad. <laughs> such a such a stupid title for a song. Yeah. But also, uh, the the follow up track to that is called like a F- California King slash Hating You for Christmas. Yeah, the Hating for Christmas is like a what do you call it? Hidden track. Yeah. 
Because uh, I remember the song Like a California King. Definitely. The, the multiple editions of this have so many extra tracks. I wonder what the, the reasoning behind, like... Because I remember when I would be purchasing CDs, there would be different editions for each record. Like, if you, like, went and, like, wanted to buy a copy of, like, Nirvana's Nevermind, mm-hmm. you would see, if you went to the right record store, like, four different versions of it from, like, around the world. Like, I think I bought a Japanese version of Green Day's Warning yeah. in, like, 1999 and it had, like, extra tracks on it. Yeah. Why are those extra tracks only on, like, the international editions of it? Is I it, have... like... Is it like how like um, you know like uh, like Iron Man will film like scenes all around the world to like create like yeah. a global appeal or like do they think that like specific songs will appeal to like different markets? Yeah, maybe it was like there's like, and I'm sure it's like possibly I don't know because like I have a Japanese version of Payments Wowie Zowie which is mm-hmm. mostly the same I feel like, but I I don't um, know. What's the uh, the the first Clash? Re- a lot of those early. Uh, like British records would like not include tracks. Yeah, sure. Uh, the Clash one sticks out as like w- like the British version is usually considered like the 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 definitive version or something. Let's look up the Clash self titled. Yeah, Clash. Self-titled. You know. I, I these are things that used to really matter to me, and now I remember none of them. It's like oh, you gotta hear the British version. Okay, in 1979 version of. Uh, okay, in the United States, the Clash's debut state studio album was released one year after "Give Him Enough Rope." Oh, okay, mm. that's what I, that's what I'm misremembering. Uh, "Give Him Enough Rope," a record I do not like nearly as much as the first Clash record. Yeah, indeed. All I know is that Art Alexakis was his first band was a band called the Easy Hose, and they were apparently <laughs> a cowpunk band. Oh my god. I don't know. Everclear is such a great name for a band, and the Easy Hose is maybe the worst name for a band. Everclear is a solid name for a a band, certainly. It's the perfect name if you want to consistently get them confused with Everlong or Everlast for the rest of your life. Well, Everlast, of course, is a Whitey, like the resurrection of Whitey Ford or whatever his thing was, like good old Everlast. His album, his classic album with his one song, What It's Like. Which I remember hearing. You don't remember. You don't remember Black Jesus. Do you remember that song? <laughs> no, I do not. I it used, it used to be on a. Uh, I don't know if they had this in Detroit, but they had a a dial in request music video channel called The Box. Yeah, yeah on yeah, the yeah. East Coast, and like you could, you they would show you like the top videos, and it was like always like videos that like record companies were clearly trying to like promote harder, and like one of them was Everla- Everlast's Black Jesus, <laughs> and it would go like Black Jesus, White Moses. I do remember that song now. Okay, yeah. Okay. I forgot until <laughs> you said that. So you say it in his classic <laughs> Everlast voice, and yeah. yeah. White, I heard the White Moses part, yeah. White Moses. <laughs> I just like, I don't think I've ever heard the whole thing, but it was like that commercial, or like that clip is just like burned in my memory. Yeah, good old Everlast from House Everlast, of Pain. Everlast discography begins in 1990. Wow. And it's called Everlasting. His first his first album is called Forever Everlasting. Yeah, and then... Why isn't it called Forever Lasting? And then, yeah, but then it was eight more years before he made... Waiting for well, then he blues. then he was in then he was in House of Pain House of Pain for probably that that interim right probably so House of Pain this is what Wikipedia is great for years of House of Pain's years active as listed by Wikipedia are 1991 through 1996 which would make up yeah. for that time this is now the Richard Simmons podcast but forever last it's like whatever happened to that guy we miss him well, yeah. but then House of Pain got back together from 2010 to 2011 and then again in 2017 and because there's no 
dash 2017 and then there's no end date, I'm assuming that they're still around. Maybe. Because, well, Everlast had an album come out in 2018 called Whitey Ford's House of Pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 2008, he had an album called Love, War, and the Ghost of Whitey Ford. So this guy's really on the whole Whitey Ford thing. Also, his 2000 album, Eat at Whitey's. His 2004 album, White Trash Beautiful. This guy's got yeah. a... He's got a theme. He's got a theme, and he's like, yeah, being white. (laughs) Love war, the ghost of Whitey Ford. (laughs) Whitey Ford's house of pain. Songs of the ungrateful living. Yeah, 2011. Uh, The life acoustic. That's nothing. Like it's like the life aquatic, but acoustic. Uh, Yeah, yeah. He he just got finished like mainlining some Wes Anderson films. He's like, you know what? Art. You know. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, well, I mean, speaking of white people, Wes Anderson films. I say yeah. I'm a big fan of Wes Anderson, but... <laughs> hey, hey, you're white. Yeah, that is true. And I love Wes Anderson. He's my favorite filmmaker. I mean, uh, I'm not going to lie. Love him as well. Yeah, he's great. Very charming. Uh, I don't know if he's no, charming. I don't know is if he's he charming? charming His movies I remember are when charming. I was a kid... I remember when I was a kid, uh, when like uh, I first saw the Royal Titan Bombs, mm-hmm. and that was like a huge, huge movie for me when I was like twelve or thirteen or whatever. And I watched the uh, the the Criterion version with the commentary on. <laughs> and at that time, I was like watching the commentaries for every movie that I liked, with like the gold standard being anything Kevin Smith talked Ooh. on, <laughs> which was like you know, as, as a thirteen year old from New Jersey, which was like the peak of like insight into like being a real dude, I guess, and being a real fan of movies. And then I watched Wes Anderson's uh, commentary on uh, The Real Tenenbaums, and it was quite possibly the most boring, because yeah. uh, all he was talking about was, you know, the elements of the film and how it was constructed, yeah. which was probably now much more valuable than, like, Jason Mewes showing up late to the clerk's <laughs> uh, commentary recording, getting drunk and passing out. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I listened to his uh, audio commentary on Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I don't remember anything about it necessarily, but in terms of audio commentaries, I've, I've watched, like, Simpsons seasons, like, episodes, or seasons, like, two through, like, ten with, like, or probably more like two through nine, like, with the audio commentary, like, so many times, and I've heard, like, those audio commentaries so many times, including the one where Dave Thomas, the Second City TV guy, uh, pretended to be a contest winner... Who was uh, <laughs> That's really you know, there to like you know, yeah he's like pretend to be like an older gentleman who'd won a contest to sit in on a uh, conversation for the episode specifically. I remember the episode uh, "Mountain of Madness," which is the one where Mr. Burns and Homer get trapped during that avalanche. I like that episode. It's a very good episode. Uh, there's a I don't remember I watched a couple of the Simpsons uh, commentaries, but there was one episode. I think it's the one. Um, where Lisa gets on the bus to Crackton to go to the mm-hmm. museum, and Homer's trying to catch up with her, and uh, I think it's that episode. And the commentary begins with like uh, one of the writers being like, "I don't know whose idea it was to completely ruin the show, but it starts right here." <laughs> yeah, <there's, laughs> and I re- I really appreciated that. Yeah, that was very funny. They're doing so, yeah, they're and they're, they did something similar on the one for uh, Principal and the Popper, yeah. which is the one everybody like a lot of people yeah, don't like. They did the same thing. Although I think that I think that the people's problems with that episode are a little overblown. I think it's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple jokes in it that like I really love. Specifically, uh, when Armin Tanzarian is uh, says that the women in the strip club he's promoting for aren't even wearing a smile, uh, is one of my yeah. favorite jokes. Not suggestively. <laughs> they're, they're not even wearing a smile. 
Indeed. Anyways, uh, Love More and the Ghost of Wendy Ford is an album that's <laughs> over an hour long. Fuck. It's like probably like 95% skits. Maybe. Well, that does include I, three bonus I, tracks. I, I loved how like as soon as like the 90s hit, they're like, CDs can hold at least 82 minutes of music. And everyone's like, great, fill it up. Got to fill up the entire thing. Yeah, it also includes a cover of Folsom City or Folsom Prison Blues. Oh, God. But mixing in that a sample of Insane in the Brain by Cypress Hill. And also a cover of a song called My Medicine by Snoop Dogg from his 2008 a, album, Ego Trippin'. Can you do me a favor and read the, the first track on the album? What's the name of it? Kill the Emperor. Oh, we're listening. We're looking at different. Oh, we're looking at Whitey Ford sings the blues because that's what I'm looking I'm, at. I'm looking at Love War and the Ghost. Uh, I'm looking at the Whitey Ford sings the blues, right. an oh. album that all music gave four and a half stars, and it opens with the song is "The White Boy Is Back, Indeed. Back, Back." Yep, followed by Money and Parentheses Dollar Bill. Number fifteen is my favorite track, Funky Beat. Yeah. Uh, after. I wonder if this album is good. Yeah, maybe. Well, there's a. There's a 59-second thing I'm assuming is just a skit called Prince Paul, featuring, I assume, the actual Prince Paul. Paul uh, Houston is accredited writer. Yeah, he is Prince Paul, the mm-hmm. famed rap guy. Robert Christgau, not a fan of this album. The, the famed rap guy. <laughs> Robert Christgau. Uh, I'm assuming Guru is also a skit because it's only 17 seconds long. Uh, the White Boy is back, I'm also going to assume, is a skit because it's 45 seconds long. Yeah. Okay, and what's the... Okay, I'm assuming today, in parentheses, Watch Me Shine is also a skit because it's over five minutes long. <laughs> Indeed. And I'm looking at Eli Whitey's, which features famous Black Jesus. Also a song called Black Coffee. Uh, but the first song, of course, is called... Black Sim- Flag Cover, Black Coffee. And the first Black song coffee. is simply called Whitey. And he has a song featuring... <laughs> Why did he call himself Whitey? Uh, oh, Robert Christgau only... Is that his real name? What's his real name, uh, Everlast? Hang on, I can figure this out in a second by clicking on yeah, name. Okay, stage... Oh, Eric Francis Schroeder. Yeah, which is not anything to do... What is he... I guess people called him Whitey or Maybe. something? I mean, he's a white guy. And, well, Whitey, Whitey Ford is a famous baseball player mm-hmm. uh, from back in the day uh, who played for... He's Of course, he's referenced in a Simpsons episode, the uh, pretzel episode. Where he's hit with a barrage of pretzels from the crowd. Here, yeah, but here come the pretzels. Hall of Famer uh, Whitey Ford, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a funny episode. Yep. Uh, fashioning themselves, okay, so, okay, early career in House of Pain. Fashioning themselves as a rowdy Irish-American hooligans. Lethal is actually of Latvian heritage, I did not know that. They toured with various rap and alternative rock bands, such as the Ramones, Beastie Boys, and Red Jane's Machine, after their breakthrough. That's really lucky yeah. good for them yeah they participated together with helmet uh, along with several other rap groups on the influential 1993 rock rap collaborative judgment night movie soundtrack oh, everlast yeah. also played the villain villain in the film wow the group disbanded in 1986 everlast uh solo group i've never heard of judgment oh night. you've never oh, heard of judgment night or the soundtrack emilio estevez cuba Gunn jr and who is this uh steven dorf yeah, the, wow. soundtracks wow. The, 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 sound, the soundtracks jeremy piven the- this is such a great Great collection of like smarmy white yeah, no, little but guys. But the, the soundtrack is like a bunch of like rap groups and rap groups combined together to make songs. Like just you look at like mm-hmm. here's all the combinations. There's a uh, Helmet and House of Pain, Teenage okay. Fan Club and Dila Soul. Oh, that's crazy. Living Color yeah. and Run DMC. 
the titular track is from Biohazard and Onyx. I'm not really not that familiar. I, oh, I know that song. Okay. I know that song. Yeah. Uh, Slayer and Ice T. I th- what song did they do? Disorder, a meddler. I got. I'm gonna. I'm gonna open the soundtrack. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. I gotta listen to this record. Yeah. This sounds great. Faith uh, no more. Oh my God. Freak. Oh, Freak Mama with Mud Honey and Sir Mix Lot. I've definitely yeah. heard. Missing Link, Dinosaur Jr., Del the Funky Homo Sapien. I've heard. Uh, oh my gosh, this is great. This Teenage Fan Club, De La Soul <laughs> song, Fallen, I've got to listen to. What a weird combo, but like also what an interesting yeah. combo. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And then the, uh, oh, wait, is it? It's uh, The chorus was sampled Free Fallen Tom Petty. Oh my gosh. And this is only like a couple years after Free Fallen came out. Yeah, indeed. That's a later Tom Petty. And Alan Silvestri did the score for the, the film. I gotta see this movie. This sounds great. What's it about? It's about uh, Judgment, Judgment Night. Night. Yeah, it's about Judgment Night. It's when the uh, God comes down and determines who's going to that's heaven and who's going to hell. Uh, it's about a group of friends on the run from a gang of drug dealers led by Dennis Leary after they witness a murder. Ooh, that sounds scary. Dennis Leary can be scary. Yeah, uh, just like in The Ref. Uh, oh, one of my grandma's favorite movies. She loves <laughs> The Ref. Interesting. Emil Estevez, of course, stars in one of my favorite movies. I speak, of course, of Loaded Mighty Weapon Ducks One Two. Oh, I, loaded was, I assumed one. it would be Loaded Weapon One. I've seen that movie once. I love Loaded Weapon One. Oh, good old. He's in. Oh, no, he directs. He's only directing and writing these days. It seems old. Well, he really did that Bobby uh, Bobby Kennedy yeah. movie a couple years ago, right? Oh, he's got. Uh, oh, I'm going to see Apocalypse Now today. Although his scenes were deleted, I wonder if they're in the final cut, which I'm going to see. Ah, as the messenger boy. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> the messenger boy. Uh, he was on an episode of Two and a Half Men with his brother. Yeah. The half man himself, John G. <laughs> Called, with a great, hilarious title, The Devil's Lube. Oh, God. Yeah, he also... He dir- That's dis- <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, and he directed some TV stuff. Oh, he Directed an episode of uh, Numbers, called- directed an episode of Criminal Minds, yeah. Close to Home, CSI. Yeah, he... Uh- Look, Emilio put in the work. And Emilio... Uses his real last name, unlike his brother, Charlie. Yeah, or his father, Martin. Mike, Martin, but the Sheens. Like his uncle, Joe. Joe Estevez. Joe Estevez, star of Werewolf, and some other movies shown in Mystery Science Theater 3000. I don't remember. I gotta look up Joe Estevez on the... Wicked. He's on an episode of On Cinema. He's on an episode of Eagle Heart. He's like an Adult Swim, like weirdo that they bring around i guess oh he was also uh joshi was also he's on an episode of decker he must be bo- he must be i guess friends with like uh the absolutely crew probably or something yeah he's in San- they like bringing him around he's in samurai cop 2 a few years ago let's try to think of the other thing he was in that was on yeah he's okay so he's in werewolf which i've I swear he's in... Oh, Soul Taker. Yeah, he's the villain in Soul Taker. Of course, the villain in Soul Taker. That's an, you know what? I should hang up right now and call my father and let him know. The name he was trying to think of was Joe Estevez from Soul Taker. Well, that uh, was also an MST3K movie, which is why I was trying to think of Because I knew he was in a couple of them, but yeah, he's like the main villain in that one, which mm-hmm. was... Uh, Featured on uh, MST3K. It's actually, I think, the opener of its final season. The episode features cameos from uh, both Joel. Cameo? Yeah, no, from Joel and Frank. Oh. <clears throat> Let's see. Yeah, it was, uh, but I think it was, yeah. It was written by the star of the movie, who is this woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was. Uh, oh, it's my throat. Oh, no. I'm trying to talk, but. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, he's also the villain Cyrus in the film Doonby. Uh And uh, he also stars as uh, David Faustino in Not Another B Movie, which is a trauma film. What? Why? I'm sorry. This, is the this trauma film has a great cast. Uh, well, it has one great person, and I'm not really too sure who the other was. Dan Faustino, who I know from uh, Married with Children, yes. a show you have never seen. Nope. Uh, and Ed Asner. From a show I have seen. Yeah, a show you have seen, right? Mary Tyler Moore. Yes. Uh, and it's spinoff seasons, Lou Grant. Yeah, he won. Uh, a show I didn't know existed. He won Emmys for that. That was like a, it was a dramatic show. It wasn't a comedy. Oh really? Yeah. Was it good? Have you ever seen it? Yeah, it's a solid like drama. It became like a very sort of like I believe I remember. It ran know. for five seasons, yeah. over a hundred episodes. I believe and it's a yeah, it's a, a fifty minute drama. Yeah, it, wow. it was like a serious sort of drama. Like I believe it's Lou Grant goes back to like newspapers and like yeah. he like it's like taking like a serious like news show. Yeah. Not as well. It, yeah, it won a two Golden Globes, a Peabody, an Eddie Award, which I don't know, and three awards from the DGA. Yeah. I wonder why it's not as well well remembered. I don't know. I've never heard anyone talking about it. Yeah, they, you ever I hear people talking about the other very popular spinoff of Mary Tyler Moore show, Phyllis. Yeah, I do hear people talking about Phyllis. Well, yeah, Phyllis was a show that I have watched a couple episodes of, uh, and of course Rhoda and the. Uh, wait, no, I'm trying to think of. Here's something that's sad about Ed Asner. Ed Asner is 89. Yes. It is 2019. Mm-hmm. In 2015, at the at the age of 85, he got a divorce. Ooh, that is rough. Oh, I was, <laughs> I was looking up something recently about somebody. And as we've learned earlier in this episode, divorce can be hard. Yeah. I, I'm now trying to remember. There's somebody I looked up recently. Or I was looking them up, and I saw they had some crazy thing going on. He was on. the president of, of the Screen Actors Guild. Yeah. And he was succeeded by Patty Duke. Ah, Patty Duke, uh, R.I.P. Patty Duke, a.k.a. Patty Duke Aston from her, ma- her match game days when she was married to. And, th- uh, and then he, she was uh, succeeded by Barry Gordon. And now I don't see any president listed. Let's use the president of the Screen Actors Guild today. Today, do, today, do, today. Do, 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 president of the Blacklist years. That's when uh, James Bader was running. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so the okay the pre- last president was Ken Howard. Oh, oh the White Shadow. SAG AFTRA. Okay, so then they um they merged, I guess, uh, with uh, the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. And let's see who the president is now. This is very interesting stuff. It is. For pe- I, maybe they don't have a president. Oh, here we go. President, presidente, president. I see a lot of vice presidents. Mm-hmm. Not seeing any active presidents. Oh, Gabrielle uh, Carteris. Car- Carteris. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, but she was on 902 and Oh, right. I, I found the guy I was, I was looking for. I'm going to get his exact He was the guy who played Wilbur on Mr. Ed. I'm going to find out what his exact name was. His name was Alan Young. Here's the tale mm. of Alan Young. A man. Are you gonna? Are you gonna? Are you gonna rap it? No, I'm not. But he <laughs> sounded like you were about to start singing in rhyme. He got divorced for a second time at the age of 85. Jeez, got, 85 is the year to get divorced. Got married huh? for a third time in 86 and divorced for a third time in 87. At 87. Wow. So I'm telling you, I think when you hit a certain age, you have enough divorces, you st- you start to like it. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, because he was married from 41 to 47. <laughs> 
Then he okay. was married from 48 to 95. Then he got married for his third time in 96 and divorced in 97. And then wow. he lived for another nine years. Wait, no, 19. Because he, he died at 96. Damn. Yeah. A full life filled with divorce. Yeah, he was. Yeah, it was a divorceful life indeed. And then he was divorced from life itself. Yeah, died in Woodland Hills. Probably in that place that old celebrities that don't have a lot of money go to die. I don't remember what it's called. It's some like place in Woodland Hills like that like as like a That's not Hollywood. The motion the motion picture television country house and hospital, which is a retirement community that a lot of famous old celebrities here's a list of notable residents. Oh, too many to name. there's so many people that like were at this place in their final days. Hmm. Uh, we're talking Bud Abbott. We're talking uh, let's see other uh, names. Johnny Weissmuller. We're talking Ida Lupino. We're talking Jaja Gabor. Jaja. Yeah. Oh, I, I I saw Harrison Ford's name, but it was a different Harrison Ford who's apparently a silent film actor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of I feel like maybe oh yeah, there we go. Curly Howard. I think maybe Larry Fine also. Uh, yep, Larry Fine too. So yeah, two of the three Stooges also lived and died there. It was the thing to do, and at the time, <laughs> it was the thing to do. I, I, we're hitting about a half hour. Yeah. I think we should wrap it up. That, that seems like a good place to talking end. Talking about the motion picture and television country house and hospital, right there in Woodland Hills. Uh, yeah, founded in 1940 because they didn't want famous celebrities to keep dying poor. Apparently, there was a thing that was happening; it was making people sad. So they said, "Let's do something to stop that from happening. Let's let them." <laughs> Ooh, Annette Funicello died there, or lived there slash died there. Mary Astor. So many famous names. So little time to live after they moved in because they were old. That's why they got to live there. But yeah. So this is Chris and Matt Skim Wikipedia podcast with the two of us. Uh, Skim Wikipedia. I'm Chris. I'm Matt. And we're done with this episode. Thank you, Gabber Media, for everything. Listen to other Gabber Media productions. This podcast, you know, like subscribe to it or rate to it on whatever podcasting you use or comment or whatever. I mean, if, I don't know if you can do any of that stuff on Spotify. So, but maybe you can subscribe on Spotify or not. If you're a Spotify listener, shout out to everybody listening to Chris and Matt Skim Wikipedia on Spotify. Uh, that's it for this week's episode of Chris and Matt Skim Wikipedia. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.